Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. I'm delighted to be joined today by Hugo Gordon, Senior Policy Advisor at the Investment Association. Hugo, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me, Galen. Before we kind of dive into the topic that I wanted to address with you, Perhaps you could just start off telling me a little bit about the Investment Association, kind of the, the membership, the reach, and, and the goals that you have, just so that our listeners understand where you're coming at some of these questions from. Sure. So the Investment Association is the trade association representing UK investment managers. We have around 270 members between them managing around 9.4 trillion of assets across the world. Our goal essentially is to improve the investment environment for our members so that they can in turn help their clients reach their financial goals. And while our primary advocacy focus is in the UK, our members are global investors. And so we will look to coordinate and engage with stakeholders in other jurisdictions where relevant as well. Okay, so obviously working with such a big, broad investment community, you focus on a number of different topics. But what caught my eye recently was a briefing paper that you published regarding sub-custodian timestamping for FX trades. Can you just walk me through what exactly is the concern that your members have regarding this issue? Sure. When trading FX, an asset manager will normally look to receive from their counterparty a timestamp for when the order was received and when it was executed at a minimum at a, when the order was received and when it was executed. And ideally, that would be provided on a millisecond basis. And asset managers will often delegate their FX trading to a custodian who then trades on their behalf. So this might be done for a variety of reasons. They might be looking to take advantage of a custodian's expertise in this area. They might be looking to benefit from multinational custodians trading advantages in third countries, for example. And in these instances, a custodian trading on behalf of asset managers should provide their clients with the relevant timestamps for a trade. Now, in some instances where a trade occurs in an emerging market jurisdiction where that custodian doesn't have a local desk, they'll delegate again that trade down to a local sub-custodian, so a local custodian they have a relationship with, to perform that trade on their behalf and therefore ultimately on behalf of the custodian's client. However, in some instances where you get the situation where a trade is delegated to a sub-custodian, those clients don't necessarily receive an accurate timestamp back. So sometimes, you know, we, we said earlier that we'd like these timestamps really on a millisecond basis normally. Sometimes you might get a timestamp back that might only be accurate to within a few minutes. In the worst instances, you might get a timestamp that only refers to the day on which the trade took place. And this makes analysis of a given FX trade very difficult, and particularly when you consider the speed at which FX markets move. A timestamp of anything more than a few seconds wide can make effective analysis very difficult. When you're looking at the day of the trade, it makes effective analysis essentially impossible. So that's why we've been calling for improvements in the in subcustodian timestamping in the FX space. So if you don't mind me saying, the issue of non-exact timestamps for FX trades executed by subcustodians sounds on the surface like something of a niche issue. Why do you think it's something that the FX industry as a whole should be paying attention to and and your association is very concerned about it. Sure, it very much does sound like a niche issue, but I think at heart, it's a question of accurate analysis and the good we do for our clients as investment managers. So investment managers have a fiduciary duty to their clients and investment managers will need to be able to analyze the trades they conduct on behalf of their clients to ensure they're meeting their best execution obligations, you know, to make sure they're doing the best possible job for their clients whose money they are investing. If investment managers are not able to accurately analyze a given trade, this may result in higher transaction costs or suboptimal trade execution going forward. And ultimately, that leads to worse outcomes for the end clients. 
I want to pick up on something that you mentioned before, Hugo, where you talked about one possible reason why a subcustodian might be used would be in, say, like an emerging market environment. And, you know, the Investment Association actually published a sort of a more in-depth publication on this issue back in February 2020, I believe, in a, which seems like a very long time ago now with everything that's happened in between. And in that paper, you went kind of more in-depth on talking about how trading restricted currencies can throw up barriers for accurate timestamping. Given this, is there anything that could realistically be done by subcustodians to get these more accurate timestamps that the association members are after? It's true that in some markets, there are limits to electronic trading capabilities. There may be issues with local regulations or restrictions. Sometimes you get restrictions on data transmission, for example. Sometimes just the lower liquidity in the market means orders have to be sliced up into multiple trades, and that can lead to issues providing accurate timestamping. One major obstacle that you might get is where the local central bank is the sole source of liquidity. And there are a few markets around the world where that is the case. And in that instance, the central bank might not provide a timestamp or orders might be handled on a bulk basis, which makes determining the point of execution for an individual trade potentially quite difficult. And sometimes these issues are outside the control of either the buy or sell side to address. However, in many instances, experience has shown that accurate timestamp transmission is possible. And often this can be achieved through custodians leveraging their commercial relationships with subcustodians and making sure client expectations as the timestamps be provided are passed on. And, and that's what we're really hoping to see more of. Do you think that the engagement between the clients and the custodians is something that could actually help address this problem of timestamping? We think so. Sometimes issues have arisen where ultimately the problem has been a gap between what clients are expecting to receive and what custodians had agreed to or were able to provide. And we do think it's important that custodians and clients engage regularly to ensure custodians are aware of client expectations and also that clients are aware of what limits might exist to a custodian's ability to provide up to the millisecond timestamps. And we do find that custodians having a clear and transparent written policy on emerging market currencies can be very helpful in this regard to lay out for their clients what they can expect to receive. So you talked about the fiduciary duty that the association members have. And that's kind of, sort of more of a legal issue, but there is also this question of just best practices in the industry. And when it comes to FX, when we think about best practices, it's hard not to end up coming back to the global code of conduct, which in your most recent briefing paper, you reference. So I wanted to talk about the code a little bit while I have you here. And I guess I've been following the, the development and emergence and sort of evolution of the code over a number of years. And one of the concerns I've always heard, one of the complaints that I hear over and over again, is that while the code is widely accepted and adopted and implemented on the sell side, and they're very aware of it and cognizant of it, take up on the buy side has been much more sporadic or patchy or limited. So I wanted to pick your brains on this question of, obviously you have a broad membership, so I'm asking you to speak fairly generally here, but how aware and how involved is your membership regarding the FX code of conduct? The first thing I'd say is the IA is supportive of the code. We have widely socialized its existence with our members. It's, it's a widely discussed issue amongst our members. We have fed into the code's developments during its initial drafting phase and also through its recent review and updating. So some factors that might have initially delayed buy-side adoption include concerns over the applicability of certain principles to investment managers. Certain principles that relate to execution, for example, that might apply more often to sell-side firms and buy-side firms, for example. However, the Global FX Committee, which is the committee that oversees the Code of Conduct, their commitment to the principle of proportionality, where it's recognized that the code will not apply in the same way to all market participants, dependent on their size and the nature of their activities, 
has alleviated some concerns that members might have been required to apply principles in a way that didn't fit their business model. So it's an understanding that the code will apply to market participants as a whole, but not necessarily to everyone in the same way, which of course is not to be seen as the code applying in lesser fashion to some market participants than others, but just that it will apply differently depending on the kind of activities that market participants have. So that's been helpful. We also think that the Global FX Committee's growing portfolio of guidance for market participants around adoption and adherence to the code has provided a lot of welcome clarity as to many of the questions that five-side firms have previously raised. And as a result, we have seen an increasing number of buy-side firms, including many IA members, signing up to the code in recent years. I think you made a number of good points there. Firstly, I think that associations like the IA have a really important role in helping to grow awareness and, and driving adoption on the buy-side as well as the sell-side. I also think your point about the increased guidance and clarity around some of the issues in the code is an important one. You know, Everybody involved in the code has ever been clear that this is a, a sort of a living document that will continue to evolve. And I think that that's been one of the strengths of the code, right? Is that and having a principles-based approach so that it can continue to change and, and be modified and refined going forward. A question for you though, I mean, do you feel like so far the code has had a material impact on your members? And, and I mean that just to clarify, either directly or indirectly, because it might be that maybe they haven't had to change their behavior, but they've noticed that, you know, banks, platforms, technology providers they interact with uh, have had to change their behavior. And, and if so, are there any particular areas where you think that this sort of impact of the code is being felt? We believe the code has had a beneficial impact on the market as a whole, both in setting a clear expectation of what constitutes best practice across the wide spectrum of FX market activities, but also in identifying and addressing particular issues. And in particular, looking at the most recent update to the code, our members really welcomed updated calls for improved disclosures, particularly around the use of last look the provision of reject codes in the FX space as well, both of which had more explicit references in the most recent update of the code. We see that as being very beneficial and, and our members are already starting to see some of the benefit of that. With regard to timestamping specifically, the FX Global Code calls for market participants to keep a timely, consistent and accurate record of their market activity to facilitate appropriate levels of transparency and auditability and to provide that information to clients on request in order to help them meet their own need for information to facilitate informed decisions on their own market interactions. So we think that the code has been beneficial in setting out expectations that can cover quite a wide range of issues that our members experience within the marketplace. So you brought it back to the timestamping there, which is good because I wanted to sort of end on that note. In your briefing paper, you noticed that COVID has delayed many projects within financial services, but now we're putting disruption behind us, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, there's no more uh, waves coming. It's interesting because you put out the paper in February, 2020, and then reading that in your latest briefing paper, my read of it was that the grace period for uh, people fixing this problem was kind of coming to an end because of COVID. So I'm curious now, looking ahead, now that we have, again, hopefully put the disruption behind us, what concrete steps would you like to be taken following the publication of this paper? I think for us, the key issue is that while in many instances, custodians are able to offer the hope for level of time stamping. Unfortunately, that is not the case in all instances, so there is still progress to be made. In many cases, we see the best way forward is custodians just continuing to implement the recommendations made by the IA in our paper in, in February 2020, recommendations around a subcustodian timestamping in the FX space. I've mentioned client engagement, transparency as to emerging market currency trading policies. And I think for us in particular, regularly reviewing and applying commercial pressure to subcustodians to ensure that data provision is improved where that is possible is quite a big thing for us. 
there are, as we see it, some fairly straightforward steps that can be taken to improving this. As recognized, not always possible. There might be local market issues that make it difficult, but we believe that in many instances, some simple changes can have a big impact. Yeah, I mean, the February 2020 paper seemed to make a series of, to my mind, fairly straightforward and reasonable recommendations. So I hope that anybody listening who is interested in this topic will go back and read that. And in the meantime, Hugo, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you very much for having me on, Galen. And to all our listeners, please do join us again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings. 